Well, I love my dad. He's a fantastic guy. Um, he's a man who's now in his late 80s. Um, every time I finish a conversation with him on the phone, he says, love to you and the family. But I know that each day, and I know each day, he prays for me. I think ever since I was born, he prays for me. Um, I a, a number of times walked into um, his study and in later days his lounge room and there on the table next to his chair is a Bible. And I know that every morning at six o'clock he's up reading his Bible, praying for me and for other people. It's very moving to have a father like that who so graciously prays for you week by week and month by month, year by year. Of course, there have been times where I have not always lived up to his expectations, um, as with any father. I can particularly remember one night where he had to correct me. Um, I had decided with a group of mates, I was about 15, uh, to go into the city. Uh, what I'd negated to do was tell any parental unit that I was going somewhere. Um, about 12 o'clock that night, it wasn't too late, I didn't think, I arrived home to my father pacing the front lawn. The hospitals had been rung, the ambulance service had been rung, the police had been rung. I learnt very quickly that a failure to live up to your father's standards has consequences and I felt them for the next few weeks. Now no doubt you may have had experiences like that as well. And then when you become a father, you have to try and work out what to do when you're faced with similar circumstances. How do I instruct my children in such a way that they understand that if they don't meet certain standards, there are consequences? And how do I on earth work out what those consequences are with any sort of meaning? Have, if you've seen that or felt that, you know the struggle of what it is to be a father. Well, today we come to Amos. And Amos is a prophet who says, you have failed to live up to God's standards and there are consequences. He's speaking on behalf of God and his message is rather dire. We're going to look at this message for the next five weeks and this morning, I really just want to kind of introduce the idea of Amos and start to explore with you some of the themes and ideas around the book of Amos. Now, this idea of people not living up to God's standard is not new in the Bible. Uh, within the first 11 chapters, we see that straight after the garden, uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are expelled. There are consequences for their behaviour. We see with the great flood, Noah's flood, there are consequences for the way that society has developed. We see with the Tower of Babel, consequences as a result of people seeking to be their own gods and rejecting God. And so it's not unusual that we come across this theme in the Bible. And it's not unusual that we should see it in the prophets, this idea that people have failed to live up to God's standards and that there will be consequences. But Amos has some particular things to say 
And in this introduction to the series this morning, I want to think about who Amos is, what he says, and why we might find ourselves objecting to Amos's message. But if we do, we would diminish something very precious. So come with me as we look at Amos together. You might like to turn to page 905 uh, in your pew Bibles, and there you will see uh, where we're reading from this morning. Amos begins in this way. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. What he saw concerning the Israel concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was the king of Judah and Jeroboam the son of Jehosh was the king of Israel. Now that places Amos at a particular time in a particular place and tells us about his particular circumstances. We learn that he was one of the shepherds of Tekoa and that is a position just here. You'll see where that little orange circle is. It's about 10 miles outside of Jerusalem. And he's living in Judah. Uh, what has taken place is there's been a split between Judah and Israel. And we see that in this diagram here. Um, this is the split. It took place around 920 BC, 22 BC. And Amos is a little bit further on and he's coming from Judah to speak to the people of Israel. From Judah to speak to the people of Israel. So if we look at that particular map... We can see that he comes from Judah to speak to the people who are uh, in the north. Now, he's called a shepherd. The word there, though, is a special word for shepherd, and it simply means someone who's in charge of shepherds. So he's not only a shepherd himself, but he's actually in charge of a group of shepherds. Uh, some have suggested that perhaps... He's, he's fairly middle class, really, in the way that he operates, even though he's living in a small town outside of Jerusalem. But he's in charge of shepherds, and this man is sent to speak to other people in Israel. Now, at the particular time when this book takes place, there's great prosperity. People are fairly well off. And so in some senses, Amos moves to speak to people who are well off, even though he's well off himself. And I think that's important to understand that background because this will come up again and again in the book, uh, in what is being said and the way Amos speaks. Well, what did he actually say? Well, he said, The Lord roars from Zion. See in verse 2? The Lord roars from Zion and he thunders from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds dry up and the top of Carmel withers. It's kind of a summary of what he's going to say. The Lord roars from Zion. Uh, Zion is referring to a hill in Jerusalem. Uh, the Lord roars from Jerusalem. It's like God is roaring at his people and to those around him. Now, he's very explicit about what's taking place in this roaring as he speaks throughout the book. He points out that the people of Israel, and indeed the people around the people of Israel, have not been living up to God's standards. And there are consequences for the fact that they have not been living up to these standards. So in uh, chapter 1, we see God speaking about nations. Just take, to take an example here, um, around verse 11 and 12. For three sins of Eden, even four I will not relent, because he has pursued, this is one of the um, nations nearby, pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the woman of the land. 
because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire on Taman and will consume the fort fortress of Bosra. God is speaking against injustice that has been taking place. Women have been slaughtered and the anger has remained unchecked. And through Amos, God is saying to those people, you will receive judgment because how you act has consequences. I will judge you. Now, Amos uses a number of literary devices to help us understand that and feel the full impact and weight of this message. Things like for three sins of Eden, even for four. And that pattern just keeps repeating and repeating. And we get this impression that God, and we know that God is furious, that God is angry at what is taking place. Perhaps what's surprising in the book is that this anger is turned towards, towards the people of Israel. In Amos 5 we read, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Those words are powerful. Those words are terrifying. The Lord roars from Zion. He thunders from Jerusalem. And the pastures of the shepherds dry up. And the top of Carmel withers. So much judgment. You have failed to live up to God's standards and there will be consequences. You can hear Amos say it over and over and over again. Well, this is a difficult message. It's a difficult message for us to hear. How are we going to hear it over the next four or five weeks? Many people, as they read parts of the Old Testament like this, dismiss the Old Testament and the God of Old Testament because of passages exactly like this. Uh, you might remember Jip, uh, Richard Dawkins in his book In the God Delusion says this, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. He's read passages like this and said, I cannot believe in a God like that. In fact, I don't believe in God. And you can see why. The God in Amos is terrifying. Brings judgment on all people. So why might we find ourselves objecting to this? And why will we lose something or diminish something precious if we do reject it? One of the basic reasons we have a problem with Amos's view of the world and what he says 
is our worldviews now are so different. In Amos's times, it was understood that there was a transcendent moral order outside yourself, built into the, the fabric of the universe. Um, to fail to live up to that moral order was like violating a physical reality. Uh, for example, if you put your hand into the fire, it will burn. And so people said, well, look, let's understand what the moral shape of the universe is and let's change our character and behaviour to fit in with that reality because we don't want to burn our hands. We understand there are consequences for doing things the wrong way. Now that's Amos's world and people were believing it in lots of different ways. Of course, our world does, does not think like this at all. To put it in kind of general terms, our view of this world says that reality is not found in the transcendent, but in the natural order of things. So instead of trying to shape our desires in line with moral order, we try and shape our realities to fit in with our desires. We try, try to shape our world around our own desires and what we want. And of course, this leads us to a position where we each individually determine what's right and what's wrong. We don't test that against a transcendent moral order. We make up our own minds. Just this week, I had a conversation exactly like that. I was visiting with a couple and they said, yes, you have your idea, we have our idea, that person has their idea. They're really all the same, you know. We all make our own decisions. There's no need for a reference point. We just kind of live out our lives together like this. Now, of course, this is an unusually Western way of viewing the world. Uh, in talking with many of my Asian friends or friends from um, Arabic kind of backgrounds, this is an unusual thought that we would determine the way that we live uh, like this. But you can see if you hold that view, that to listen to someone who says, no, you have to live this way, and there's a result, there's a consequence of not living this way, just sounds ridiculous. Just sounds like oppression. Just sounds like being judgmental. That's why these two views clash so quickly. Now you can see it play out in all kinds of different ways. This week uh, in The Australian, Australia's richest woman, Gina Reinhart, issued a stern rebuke to those who are jealous of the wealthy. She said, Start working harder. Cut down on your drinking and smoking and socialising and you will be richer. Shape your own reality. It's your own fault that you're like you are. I've shaped my reality. I'm rich and wealthy beyond compare. Shape your own reality. 
However, if you were someone who believed in the transcendent and particularly believed in God and particularly believed in the God of the Bible, you might say, actually, there are consequences for being for the failure to be a good steward of the resources that God has given you. Our first call is to see that these resources come from God and to use them as his stewards. We will be kept accountable for what we do with what God has given us. You don't shape your own reality. You see the difference? But you can also see why Amos sounds so harsh to our ears because it is a transcendent God saying, this is wrong, you need to change. You do not shape your own reality. I will shape it for you. The second thing we might have problem with in terms of Amos is, I guess, a problem that Christians have created sometimes for themselves. And that is we might apply the lessons of Amos in ways that are actually unhelpful and perhaps not careful enough Just this week, once again, it's surprising what God brought into my week this week. Someone else rang me on the phone. They were quite distressed. I've known them for a number of years. And they explained to me that the current hurricane, Hurricane Isaac, that is going towards or has been at in New Orleans, is seven years to the day since Hurricane Katrina. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but this is what I was told. And the reason it was seven years to the day is because last time people there in that city and in that state did not understand the judgment of God and so God was coming back to judge them again. Now, if you hear that, that, can you do that? Amos is not calling us to do that. But you can see why people might get upset if they think that's what, is, what Amos is telling us to do, to kind of link those weather events to particular judgments in particular ways. So, brothers and sisters, as we go through the book of Amos, we need to listen carefully to what's actually being said and work out how it does apply to our lives and speak gently with those who wish to apply it in ways that may actually not be what we're called to do. There is other difficulties with Amos. I'm just alerting you to them because this is the introductory talk and we will come across them. You have to come for the rest of the series, by the way, now that we've started off this way. It does seem particularly violent the way God meets out his judgment in Amos. It's an MA rating for violence. And it's difficult to hear. Uh, Tonight, we're actually going to read the whole book of Amos. We're going to have a group of uh, actors out the front and they'll read the whole book of Amos. If you want to come for a special treat, come again tonight and listen to that. And you'll get the full weight of what's taking place. But it's hard to look at the violence in Amos. Not only what people are doing to one another, but the way God brings his judgment to bear on people is shocking 
and is difficult to grapple with, to see how God meets out his justice. I'm not sure there's an easy answer. I do like what Miroslav Wolf has done in this area. He's a, book, he's a man who's written a book called Exclusion and Embrace. He's a man who's uh, experienced the violence of the Balkans. And he knows what it is to face the cycle of vengeance and judgment and retribution. He's seen it firsthand. And he's spent his life exploring these themes and trying to understand just how we understand these things. And I think he's given us a window, a way in to understanding what God might be doing, or at least a way in for us to start to understand how we can understand God. And he makes this very bold statement. I'm not sure that I completely agree, but I think it it points us in the right direction. The only means of prohibiting all resources to recourse to violence by ourselves is to insist that violence is only legitimate when it comes from God. Now his point is this, only God will act justly. God is the one who is just and perfect and holy. He is the only one who can mete out true justice. Miroslav raises the concern that if justice is only left in our hands, then it very quickly turns into vengeance. Now, this has led him down the pacifist line, and it may not lead you there or may not lead me there, but it raises an interesting thought, doesn't it? That God is the God of justice, and only he can get it right to consistently pursue justice in a way that leads to vengeance, only increases the cycle of violence. And Miroslav is speaking strongly against that cycle of violence. Because if you don't believe in a transcendent God, who does something about this horrible, mixed-up world, then the only recourse you have is to do something about it yourself. And that's where it goes wrong. I said we'd also lose something precious if we don't believe in the judgment of God. And we don't believe in the message of Amos. If we don't see what God is doing in Amos, we will miss the darkness of our own hearts. Because Amos, in Amos, as God speaks through Amos, he shows the darkness of people's hearts. And he shows just how holy God is. And how he cannot stand the sinfulness of the people around Israel and the people in Israel. How abhorrent it is to him to have people act in a way that destroys his creation, his people, and his relationship with his people. And we're woken up. We see and we understand the darkness of our own hearts. As Romans 3 puts it, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no, no one who seeks or understands. There's no one who seeks God. 
Their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And Amos strikes us with that. It tells us, it reminds us of the blackness of our own heart. And we need to be reminded of that blackness. That is a gift, if you like. But in the end, if we dismiss the judgment of God and what he does, we also dismiss the significance of Jesus' death and what he's done for us and the mercy that is shown towards us. You might remember that scene on the Mount of Olives as Jesus uh, is faced with his own death. And he withdraws a stone throw away and he kneels down. And what does he say? Father, if you are willing to take this cup, and what he means here is the cup of God's judgment and God's wrath. If you are willing to take this cup from me, yet not my will but your will be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly and swept, and sorry, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. The judgment of God is falling on Jesus to diminish what God has done in His judgment is to diminish what Jesus does on the cross. To not appreciate the great cost and the great price that he paid on our behalf. And to fail to appreciate the wonderful mercy that God has shown to us in Christ in his death on the cross. So brothers and sisters, as we look through Amos, let us not diminish what God has done. Let us hear it with all its rawness and with all its difficulty. And let it change our hearts and lives and more deeply appreciate what God has done for us in Christ. We have failed to live up to God's standards and we know there are consequences. But God has been gracious towards us in Jesus. Amen.